We're going to turn immediately to our text for this morning, to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 15. For those who have been with us now for a number of Lord's Day mornings, you'll know that we're going through the Ten Commandments and we're coming to the Eighth Commandment and it's found here in Exodus 20 and verse 15. Very simply states for us, thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not steal. So with our Bibles open there, let's seek the Lord together in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee for thy presence with us today. We rejoice in the opportunity to come around thy word. And Lord, we are very conscious that these are familiar verses that we read Lord's Day by Lord's Day in the Ten Commandments. We are familiar with the words, we're familiar with the language of this Eighth Commandment. But Lord, we pray that thou would write upon our hearts the depth of it and the significance of this. That Lord, thou would come today and minister to our souls. We do not want to be guilty of breaking thy law. And therefore, we pray today for an understanding of thy law. We want to appreciate afresh what Christ has done in living a perfect life, in perfect obedience to thy law, and bearing the penalty of our guilt and sin against thee. So, Lord, come and minister to our hearts today. Come and speak to us, each one of us, young and old alike. And, Lord, write these things upon us, we pray. Fill me with thy spirit. Give help in the preaching of the word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some years ago, a minister of the gospel received and accepted a call to become the minister of a small church in western Canada. It was a very mountainous area and many of the congregation were involved in one particular timber company cutting down the logs and preparing the wood then for market. And after a few months in that particular area of Canada, the minister discovered to his horror that some members of his church were involved in stealing logs from another timber company. They would wait for them to float down the river. Then they would redirect them off to their plant. They would brand them with their branding. And therefore they would steal them. Greatly troubled the preacher. As he learned of this. As he settled into that congregation. He, he decided therefore to preach a series of messages. On the subject of honesty. And proper Christian living. On the first Lord's day. He spoke of the need to live properly before God and before men. And many of his congregation, as they went out that Sunday morning, congratulated him. But on Monday morning, the stealing continued and the practice went on. So the next Sabbath day, he was a little bit more specific. He dealt with honest practices in work and home and church. And again, he was congratulated by some going out of the service, but the stealing continued the next week. On the third Sunday, he was a little bit more specific, and he took as his text Exodus 20, verse 15, the Eighth Commandment. He preached, thou shalt not steal. People still congratulated him on his message, but the stealing continued the next day. So the fourth Sunday, he preached on a special subject. Thou shalt not steal thy neighbor's logs. He was very conscious that his congregation were becoming uneasy during the course of that message, but he preached on. And as they were leaving this time, there were no words of congratulations. But four men, four men who were leading men in that timber company, waited behind to see him. 
They said, we normally like your preaching, but don't go meddling in our affairs. Those men didn't really want the truth of God's word to interfere with their everyday living. And sadly, many think that way to this day. They have the idea that religion is for church, the Bible is for Sundays, and the law of God is for others. But that's a grave mistake. The Word of God addresses practical matters. It deals with life here on earth. It addresses our dealings with God, but also our dealings with each other. It sets forth everyday experiences and set forth those experiences in the light of the law of God. And what is true of Scripture in general is true of the Ten Commandments in particular. These are not laws for another world. These laws are for our life in this world. And the Eighth Commandment is no exception. One commentator said the Eighth Commandment gets right down to where we live in the trenches of this world's occupation. These words in verse 15 address the matter of property and money and possessions and wealth and honesty and and fair dealing. These are intensely practical words And they remind us that the ordinary, mundane, temporal aspects of life on earth must be ordered according to the word of God. Now before I get to the matter of stealing, it's important to understand the number of things. Things that are established by this commandment. For example, God does permit men and women to have possessions and to increase in wealth. God permits that. There are some who would suggest that it's sinful for an individual to prosper financially. They would advocate that we should have nothing but the bare essentials for life, and we have no right to increase materially or to do business really in this world. That's, that's nothing short of nonsense. Some of the godliest people in the Bible were wealthy. Abraham, the father of the faithful, the friend of God, was a man with tremendous flocks of sheep, a very wealthy individual. Job was a man who was the greatest of all the men of the East, a man with a huge farm, a very wealthy man, thousands of animals. Boaz, who features in the book of Ruth, is described when we're first introduced to him as a mighty man of wealth. And while that phrase can mean various things in regard to military work as well, it also signifies he was a wealthy individual. Joseph of Arimathea was a man of considerable wealth in the New Testament. None of those men were condemned for being wealthy. There's no sin in being rich. It's not money that is the root of all evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. We don't have to all be the same when it comes to our possessions. The Bible doesn't teach a community of resources and goods and property. That's a a communistic belief not a Christian doctrine. So there's no sin in having property, and there's no sin in being wealthy. Furthermore, how we obtain and how we maintain our wealth matters to God. How we obtain it, how we maintain it matters to God. There are many references to the subject of wealth and property and our possessions in both the Old and the New Testaments. The Eighth Commandment here is followed by words in Leviticus 25, by words in Numbers 36, 
as well as 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 13. All these passages have to do with these very matters that are here before us. How we obtain our wealth. How we use our wealth. How we exercise God-appointed rights in regard to our possessions. How we treat the rights of others. How we treat the wealth of others. All these things matter to God. He is just and holy and true and would have us to be the same in every area of life, including the area of money and possessions. There's another thing that's worth noting before we go any further, and that is that we have responsibilities toward each other when it comes to wealth and property. We have responsibilities toward each other. This commandment deals with the lives of others. And how we treat them. We are not to steal from them. Because they have certain rights also. Dr. Alan Cairn said, Human rights are not the gift of human government or the United Nations. They are not the recent discovery of liberal politicians. They are the endowment of our creator. He has given all men certain inalienable rights and no government has the right to curtail or abrogate them. God has given us rights. The person has the right to have wealth and has the right to own property. And now this commandment comes in and tells us we have no right to steal from them. Thou shalt not steal. It's a wide-sweeping commandment. Deals with how we get wealth, how we treat the wealth of others, how we get property, how we treat the property of others. This law comes to the very heart of our temporal and material living in this world. It has to do with honesty and justice and fairness. It has to do with our occupations, our time, our labor, our taxes, our business, our behavior before others as we live here on earth. And therefore, this law opens up a whole range of important issues that are connected to and flow from the subject of stealing. So let's look at this this morning. And there are three things to note particularly. First of all, let's deal with the sinful attitude that leads to stealing. The sinful attitude that leads to stealing. Stealing is the illegal or unjust taking of something that belongs to another person or withholding something that lawfully belongs to them. So it's the illegal or the unjust taking of something that belongs to another person or withholding something that lawfully belongs to them. And sadly, it's very common But before we look at how common it is and how many ways this commandment can be broken, we should ask what leads to this? What leads to the breaking of this commandment? Why why would somebody steal? Why would somebody do that? Why would somebody act unlawfully or illegally in taking something from someone or withholding something from someone that is their due? Why would somebody do that? Well, people steal because of covetousness. 
They steal because of covetousness. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, said, A man covets more than his own, and this itch of covetousness makes him scratch what he can from another. In other words, when a person starts to covet, covet something that someone else has, they begin on a road that very often ends up breaking the Eighth Commandment. These two things are very closely joined together. They are really the two sides of the one coin of this particular sin. When a man fosters, or a woman fosters that kind of covetous spirit, when they they feed it, when they facilitate it, it's not going to be very long before they rise up to fulfill that covetous spirit, and they will do it by fair means or by foul means. Coveting and stealing are very closely linked. You think of the first act of stealing in the Bible. In the Garden of Eden. God has told Adam and Eve they can eat of every tree in the garden, but not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the devil comes and talks to Eve, and we're told in Genesis 3, verse 6, that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. She saw that fruit, and she listened to the lie of the devil, and she coveted something. And when she coveted the fruit that God had forbidden, it was only a step from that covetous spirit in her heart to her stretching forth her hand and taking that which was forbidden. What of Achan in Joshua 7, verse 21 The armies of Israel have come to Jericho. They've overcome that city. And Joshua has told them that they're not to take the spoil of that place because that belongs to God. But there's a man there, a man called Achan, and he steals from Jericho. He steals from God. And he takes gold and he takes a garment and he takes various things out of the city of Jericho. And then they go to the next city and they are defeated. And there's an inquiry before God as to what has happened. And God tells Joshua, someone has sinned. There's sin in the camp, and Achan is exposed. And this is what he says in Joshua seven twenty one. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. I coveted them and I took them. The love of money for him was the root of evil in his life. And when a person loves money in this way, in this covetous way, he's just a step away from sinning further against God. A covetous man, a covetous woman will will steal in their hearts before they ever steal with their hand. But it springs from this covetous spirit that they want something that others have. People steal, therefore, also because of an improper love of wealth. An improper love of wealth. Our our chief end on earth is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That, That sets forth for us the priority for our lives. We're exhorted to seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. We are to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We are to set our affections upon heavenly things. 
But many have their priorities mixed up. And so instead of living with eternal values in view, instead of setting their affections on on heaven, they set their affections on earth, and they live for the things of this world. Judas Iscariot is a case in point. In John chapter 12, Mary has taken a, a pound of spikenard, very expensive, very precious ointment, And she has broken that and she has poured it upon the Savior and anointed him and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of that ointment, the perfume of it, this very expensive oil. And Judas Iscariot is there and he says, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Sounds very pious, doesn't it? Why, 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 Why the waste of this? We could have helped so many people with this money, the value of this. But he had something else going on in his heart because verse 6 of John 12 tells us this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. He wanted the ointment to be sold that he could then steal the money because he had an improper, sinful love of wealth. And how many are like that? And so they will steal because their hearts are fixed upon money. Their hearts are fixed on wealth. Their hearts are fixed on possessions. It's what they live for. And multitudes engage in underhand practices in order to gain a little extra because their hearts are set on that. God is not the focus of their lives. They have set another God before him, the God of wealth. People steal also because of bitterness or jealousy. Some steal simply out of spite. Their dishonesty comes because they're full of resentment. They they despise others because of their prosperity. And they can't have it when someone else is doing better in life than they're doing. And so in order to try and redress that, they're happy to steal. They're happy to steal. Joseph's brothers took his coat of many colors because they despised him. And they sold him to slave traders to make money of him because they despised him. Nabal was the same, the husband of Abigail in the Old Testament book of Samuel. Nabal was a wealthy man but despised David's servants, bitter towards the Lord's man. And it led him to break the Eighth Commandment. And bitterness and jealousy are awful things. When they get a grip of the soul and get a grip of the heart, and it's bitterness over someone else's prosperity, someone else doing better in life than us, when that bitterness kicks in and that jealousy is there, it very often leads to that person engaging in some practice of theft. People steal too because of a sinful distrust of God. God has promised to supply our needs. We're told to pray, give us this day our daily bread. God is able to supply those things. But the devil will come along sometimes and say to that person, well, God can't meet your need. You're in dire straits right now. You can't afford this. You can't afford that. Therefore, you can do this. You can do this to to balance things up a little bit. And instead of us trusting God, 
Instead of us saying, my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. Sometimes we take it into ourselves and into our way of thinking, we've got to do something to meet our own need, even if that something breaks this commandment. Sometimes people steal because of laziness and wastefulness. Some will not work. And so they steal because they don't want to be in a state of need. They live off someone else's labors because they don't want to labor themselves. And then some people steal because of a hatred of authority. The hatred of authority. Ever think of that? You ever hear someone speak that way, especially when it comes to tax and work and wages? They try to steal from their employer not give a fair day's work for a fair day's wage. They will waste time. They will be dishonest. They will, they will try to get one up on their employer. It can happen in regard to the government, people who are dishonest with their tax self-assessment forms, not paying what is required by way of licenses and taxes because they reason in their mind, well, after all, it's only the government. And the government has plenty of money. And the government wastes the money that they have. And therefore they despise the authority. And they'll think to themselves, well, the government will never miss it. The government doesn't really care about what I do. And so they hate the authority and therefore they steal from that lawful authority. But the Bible says, remember, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. As with, as with every as with every sin, stealing stealing finds its source within a sinful heart of ours. That, that's where it springs from. Theft is off the devil. And that kind of dishonest and deceitful way of living that adds up to living as a thief is something that we ought to be very, very careful of. Someone might argue that there are occasions when people will steal in order to live. I think cases like that are very few and far between in our society. And we should try to help. And this comes up, and I'll mention this before we finish. We should try to help those who are in particular genuine need. But the Eighth Commandment is extremely important that we obey this. So you have, first of all, the sinful attitude that leads to stealing. Let me say something secondly about several acts that constitute stealing. What does this commandment really forbid? What does it really forbid? There are some who try to limit these words and suggest they only apply to those who break into homes and, and steal from others, those who, who wear some kind of disguise or some kind of mask and go into a bank and rob a bank or uh, steal from their shop or steal from their neighbors. And they curtail this application or the application of this law to those few situations. This, this command is much, much broader than that. It does include that kind of thing, but it goes much further. It forbids every kind of theft. And there are many things that constitute the sin of stealing. Every kind of robbery, whether on a large or small scale, is stealing. 
Stealing is always stealing, whether it involves a large or small amount. The petty opportunist thief, the man who waits his moment, plans his raid, seizes a, a passing opportunity, is as much a thief as the businessman who engages in fraud or the one who deliberately withholds payments or willfully defaults on a financial agreement. All the amounts may be different. Maybe five, ten pounds in one hand. It could be thousands or millions of pounds on the other hand. But the Eighth Commandment has been broken. Any kind of stealing is forbidden in this law. And that also applies to those who aid and abet and benefit from theft. Receiving stolen goods while knowing them to be stolen is morally equivalent to performing the robbery itself. The Bible speaks of being a partner to a thief. Proverbs 29 and verse 24. And the partner to the thief is just as guilty as the thief himself. Furthermore, employers and employees can be guilty of stealing from each other. In the book of Leviticus, God gave laws for the proper governing of his people. And he included laws regarding the hire of a laborer. So employing someone, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13, Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob him. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until the morning. In other words, you're not to withhold his wages. You're not to get him to do something for you, to get him to work for you, and then withhold his wages from him. Jeremiah added to that in Jeremiah 22 and verse 13. Woe unto him that buildeth his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by wrong, that useth his neighbor's service without wages and giveth him not for his work. Woe unto him who employs a man to do something and then does not pay that man. That's stealing. The principle has to be a fair day's pay for a fair day's work. And many, many employ, employers can steal from their employees by not, not providing the wages that are due. And likewise, many employees steal from their employer by not working properly, by deliberately wasting time, by deliberate poor workmanship, by late arrival, by early departure, by doing their own business on work time, by unlawfully using the policies and practices for their own advantages, seeking to gain something from their employer way beyond their day's work. Where there is dishonesty in those things. And some employers are very flexible and allow certain things to happen. That's, that's a different thing altogether. But we can be guilty of stealing from our employer or an employer can be guilty of stealing from an employee. The sin of stealing involves using unjust weights and measures. Hosea chapter 12 verse 7 speaks of the balances of deceit in the hand. Amos chapter 8 verse 5 references made to making the ephah small. It doesn't mean much to us 
we think of making the ephah small. What does he mean by that? Well, the ephah was a measure that the Jews used in selling and in buying, and some unscrupulous traders would change the ephah to make it a little different. So a person would be thinking they're buying an ephah of flour or an ephah of something, corn or wheat, whatever it happens to be, but it would have been changed, and they wouldn't be getting the full measure for their money. They would still be charged the full price, but the ephah would have been made smaller, and therefore the person had been robbed. It's an act of deception. It's an act of theft. God speaks to this in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1, a false balance is abomination to the Lord. Of course, modern technology has moved on from the old-fashioned scales where you put a weight on one side and then you put the product on the other side and you balance them out, but the principle is still exactly the same. That's why when you go to the diesel pump or the petrol pump, you'll see that somewhere along the line there's a little sticker on that pump that it has been tested and it's given a full gallon as it should be. That's what that's all about. We have the weights and measures people who go around and check that kind of thing because it's possible for theft to be taking place in those situations. Underhand business deals, deceptive selling or buying. You know, telling someone that the item is worthless. So when they come, they come uh, you, you go to buy something and you say, well, that, that thing's worthless, not worth very much. And so you get a lower price and then you go away and you boast that it's really worth a whole lot more than you paid for it. Or you demand a higher price when you're selling something, and then when someone pays a higher price, then you boast afterwards, it really wasn't worth all that. You know, I'm glad I got more for it than, than really I deserve to be. It's not dealing with bargaining. It's not dealing with trying to get a good deal. That's, that's not the point. It's where there's dishonesty involved. That dishonest trading in whatever form is outlawed by God's law. Extortion, bribery, Unlawful lending also constitute the sin of stealing. God has much to say about oppression and social injustice and, and blackmail and unfair lending practices. The person who gains by those methods, setting an extortionate level of interest, for example, setting out to swindle someone is deemed guilty of stealing. God, God doesn't condemn borrowing money. Most people have to do that. He doesn't condemn thriftiness or being careful or, or wise practice or being careful with what we buy and how we buy and all of those things. God doesn't condemn that as long as those means are fair and honest and true. But where there is dishonesty, it's different. And, and the list could go on. The Eighth Commandment forbids the slave trade selling men and making money from them. It addresses the case of the borrower who has no intention of paying the loan. It deals with the issue of wasting and ruining the property of others. This Eighth Commandment covers the thing that will come under insurance scams. It also deals with adultery where a man or woman steals another person's spouse. It deals with rebellion. Absalom, in his rebellion against David, is said to have stolen the hearts of the people. 
These things all come under this statement, thou shalt not steal. Let me mention one other, perhaps the worst of all, stealing from God. Stealing from God. Turn over in your Bible to Malachi chapter 3, way back towards the end of the last book in the, in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3, and, and see what is, what is said there in, in regard to this, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8. The Lord says there, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. They were robbing God. They were robbing God and withholding from him their tithes and their offerings. Think of that. Can a man rob God? We can rob God of his glory. We can rob God of, of our, our worship. We can rob God of our tithe. We can rob God of our life for him. And we do it in full view of him. You know, when someone goes out to rob Someone in a physical sense, material sense, they try to cover their tracks, they try to hide it up, go to great lengths to try and cover it up, whether it's a business or a, an individual person. But when you think if we rob God, we do it in full view of him. He knows. He knows we do it. So you have several acts, and I've mentioned those very quickly this morning, but there are several acts that constitute the sin of stealing. It's not just the person that robs the bank or digs an ATM out of the wall with a digger. It includes that, of course, but it's much, much more than that. So you have the sinful attitude that leads to this, the several acts that constitute this. What about the spiritual answer to stealing? We discover, perhaps as we read through the commandments, we're, we're guilty of this in some form or fashion. Maybe it's something we hadn't thought about, something we hadn't considered. And we realize, well, we've sinned against the Lord here. Or maybe it's something we have been doing and we know it's been wrong and the Lord challenges our hearts and convicts us of that. What is the answer to that then? Well, obviously repentance and restitution. Repentance and restitution. Whenever Zacchaeus was saved and the Lord called him, on the outskirts of Jericho and called him out of the tree as he was, waiting on the Savior to pass by, he said that he would restore fourfold what he had taken. He had repented of his sin, wanted to make right what he had done. That was one of the great marks of the, the revival under W.P. Nicholson. Many of you have heard of that revival and maybe read some of the details Men who were saved out of the shipyard in Harlan and Wolf shipyard got saved during those meetings in the 1920s. And they were so convicted about what they had done as employees of the shipyard that they began to bring the stolen tools and stolen items that they had taken from the shipyard, some of the materials, they started to bring them back 
to their workplace and confessed what they had done. And this was happening not just in one or two cases, but multiple cases. Men bringing back stuff that they had stolen. So much so that they had to build a shed to contain it all. And when that shed was filled, there was still more stuff being brought back by men who had been converted by God's grace and who were making restitution. And I think eventually, if my memory serves me right, the, the Harland Wolf shipyard said, look, just keep it. We haven't any more room for it. Repentance and restitution. Then there's also the matter of engaging in legitimate work. <coughs> Ephesians 4, if you read, the latter, if you read the, the, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, you'll find it's six chapters, and it divides into two sections. The first three chapters are very doctrinal. The last three chapters are very practical, based upon the doctrine that Paul has been teaching. So you come into chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6 of Ephesians, Paul is very, very practical. And he writes to a church, he's writing to, to a church, he's writing to Christians who have been converted. They've been living in a very wicked city. The temple of Diana was there, the goddess Diana, a very immoral place, a very immoral practice. And with that immorality came awful idolatry. And with the idolatry and immorality came a, a host of other sins. Among them was the sin of stealing. And so when Paul writes to the Ephesian Christians who have now been converted, he tells them in verse 28 of chapter 4, let him that stole steal no more. Let him, let him that stole in the past prior to his conversion, let him stop that, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. So if you stole, stop it, he says. Stop stealing, start working and laboring so that you're able to help others who are in greater need than yourself. So that they will not have to feel they've got to steal in order to meet their needs. See how practical this is? How practical it is? Let him that stole steal no more, but let him labor. So there's repentance, there's restitution, there's engaging in legitimate work, there's implicit trust in God to meet our needs. We are in a cost of living crisis. Things are more difficult. Inflation is higher than it's been for some considerable time. Household budgets are more difficult now perhaps than they've been for, for many, many years. People struggle. People struggle, and therefore the temptation will be, well, if I can do this, if I, if, I could, if I could change that a little bit, I wouldn't have to maybe give so much in taxes to the government. I wouldn't have to do this. And the temptation is there just, just to do things a little, a little differently. Maybe even to do it f in a fraudulent way. But either, we, can, we can trust in God to meet our needs. God will, he knows our needs. He knows the situations every family faces. So let's trust him. Let's pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread. And then there is the aspect of contentment with what God has given to us. Hebrews 13, Paul says there about being content with what the Lord has blessed us with. And that's, that's a huge thing, to be content with food and clothing those basic necessities of life, 
We can be content with those things. It may be that things will improve economically in the country. And we can better ourselves. And we, we can have more. But Paul says in Hebrews 13, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Be content. The art, the art of divine contentment with what we have, our food and our clothing, our homes, may not have what everybody else might have, may not have what everyone else is striving to have, well, let's be content with what God has given to us. These things, these things will help us to resist the temptation to steal. They will help us to resist the temptation to break this commandment. Is there salvation for those who steal? If they repent and trust in Christ? Yes, there is. And there's a, there's a classic example of it in the scriptures. Because when Christ was crucified, there were two men crucified with him the same day. Two thieves. Thieves who had broken this commandment. Most likely many other commandments too. And they were being crucified for their evil deeds. And one called upon the Lord for salvation. In his dying hour, he called upon the Lord for salvation. He recognized that Christ was a king with a kingdom. He knew more about Christ and testified to his knowledge of Christ hanging on the cross than many of the Pharisees and scribes knew of Christ. And he pleaded that Christ would remember him when he would come into his kingdom. And Christ said, This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. And Christ saved him from his sin. He still suffered the consequences of his sin. He died that day by crucifixion for his crimes. But his sin was forgiven. And that man that day went to be with Christ. Is there, is there salvation for the thief? If he repents and trusts in Christ, yes, there is. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Because Christ never broke this law. Christ never stole. He never broke any of the commandments. And therefore he earned a perfect righteousness and having earned a perfect righteousness Christ died for sinners like us. That through him we would have salvation from sin even the sin of stealing. So may the Lord write these thoughts upon our hearts today and guide us and direct us to live for him. Let's pray. Let's seek him in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy word. We pray that I will write these things upon our hearts and souls just now. And Lord, speak to every one of us. We need thy word in our hearts. We need, Lord, to be well grounded in thy truth. And we pray for that even today, that, Lord, thou would remember us and help us and bless us. We thank thee for Christ, the perfect Savior. And Lord, write these truths upon our hearts and draw our minds to him. Part us now in thy fear and with thy favor. Bless us tonight as we gather again for our evening meeting. Be with us then. And bless us throughout today. We pray this in Jesus' name.